If you will, open in your Bibles with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 12 to 15. Like I said last week, we're taking a break from going through the Gospel of John. And this morning we're going to look at the glory of motherhood. And and then beginning next week, we're going to begin a series for about four weeks looking at what Scripture teaches about biblical membership. But from this morning, I want to begin with this text, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 12 to 15. This is not going to be the only text we look at. We'll be in a few different places, but I want to begin here by reading from 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verses 12 to 15. Paul writes to Timothy, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful that in Your wisdom, You created male and female in the image of God. And You commanded them to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth. And thus You created as well fatherhood and motherhood. We rejoice, Lord, We rejoice in Your wisdom in this gift to us. Father, I pray that we would recognize the glory that is to be found in motherhood. That we would not take our cues from the world that is making a constant assault on the importance and beauty of motherhood. That we would be a people shaped by Your Word. A people who rejoice in the things that make You rejoice. That we would be a people, Lord, who prize and cherish and love our mothers and our wives who are mothers. So Father, I just pray for this morning that we would be encouraged, that mothers would be encouraged Childrens would be encouraged to love their mothers, that husbands would be encouraged to love their wives. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wanted to preach this morning from this passage in 2 Timothy and more on the subject of motherhood for two reasons. 
Number one, it's Mother's Day. Genius, I know. But a good reason to look at this subject of motherhood. Second, however, I am greatly concerned as I look in the world, as I look in the culture that we live in, I am greatly concerned for mothers today because the calling of motherhood is now and has been, frankly, for quite a long time under assault. Motherhood is no longer viewed as a gift, or a calling, or a vocation. For many women, it has become a hindrance, a burden, a less than fulfilling role that gets in the way of the more fulfilling role of pursuing a career. Our culture doesn't look at motherhood in itself as a fulfilling and meaningful vocation anymore. The rise of feminism many decades ago fundamentally changed how we view womanhood as well as motherhood. Now a woman is expected to work outside the home. She is expected to rise up the career ladder. She is expected to spend her money on a college education and then pursue some kind of job that will allow her ultimately to be independent. That's the ultimate goal, her independency. She's not ever supposed to be dependent in any way. That's what the old woman would do. Not the feminist woman. Not the new woman. The old woman was helpless. She was weak. She depended on her husband for material provision and that made her weak. And she was stuck. Stuck with her children in the home. And therefore... She had no real value. She had no value to society. That's the perspective of much of our culture towards women and motherhood. And so now, because of the air in which we breathe, the natural reaction towards motherhood specifically is that it is insufficient. It's not enough. It's not good enough. It doesn't have enough value. To be a real woman, a woman who's strong, a woman who's independent, requires that if by chance a woman decides to have children, they better not get in the way of her true calling. She's working outside the home and establishing herself in a chosen career. To deviate from this path now is to make yourself a cultural heretic. You are out of step. It's to sacrifice your true womanhood and to allow men still 
rule the day. It flies in the face of everything feminism has been working for for many decades. And so there's this constant pressure on women not to deviate. Not to deviate from this norm. Not to take such a lowly path as that of motherhood. Raising children. So for example, just an example of the pressure that is found in more popular culture, Linda Hirschman wrote a book named Get Back to Work. And in it, she chides women who stay at home to manage the house for doing nothing more, she says, than living lives that resemble that of toddlers. That's her word. Sheryl Sandberg, she's the COO of Facebook, gave a TED Talk in which she wasn't as condescending as Hirschman, but nevertheless fed into the pressure that women must make sacrifices, often in the home, to pursue their careers, even suggesting that what needs to happen is more men need to become stay-at-home dads so that women can now fulfill some desired quota of running Fortune 500 companies. So She doesn't like the fact that vast majority of Fortune 500 companies, the CEOs, are indeed men, and there needs to be some kind of balance. There needs to be an even distribution of those male and female CEOs, and so what she suggests is the, the only way that this can happen is that if there are more men who sacrifice their careers and stay at home, become stay-at-home dads. It's that kind of pressure, it's that kind of cultural ethos that causes many women, I think, to bear an unnecessary burden. Burden of guilt over pursuing a calling that was designed by God for their joy, namely motherhood. So many women experience guilt for pursuing this calling. Too many people have bought into the idea that to have value And to have fulfillment and to have dignity and worth as a woman requires that you have either reached the top or are seeking to reach the top of the career ladder. It requires that you be recognized, that glory and honor be given to you, be bestowed upon you by your peers. Well, friends, I I submit to you that we should reject any pressure of that kind outright. We should reject that notion outright. I want you to hear me clearly on this point. I am by no means in any way saying that it is sinful for a woman to work outside the home. In no way is that what I'm saying. We have many godly women here who do that very thing. My wife, as well, did that for a time. That is not what I'm saying. So I want you to hear me clearly on that. What I want to reject is the notion 
and the pressure that comes with it, that motherhood itself is not a worthy and meaningful gift and calling. That's what I want to reject. And I want to reject it this morning by setting forth for you the biblical view of motherhood, not the cultural view of motherhood. The view of motherhood that recognizes the inherent glory that is found in mothering. And I've called this message the hidden glory of motherhood because the glory of motherhood often shines brightest in ways that no one ever notices. Mothers often go unrecognized for doing the very things that bring glory and honor to God. And so its glory is not one that is universally seen, universally praised. I mean, what do we do? We set aside one day a year, right? To make sure we praise our mothers. So what I'm going to do, what we're going to do this morning is look at several different passages of Scripture. And in them, we're going to see the many ways that motherhood itself inherently is full of glory. So first, let's consider the glory of discipling. Motherhood shines brightly with the glory and radiance of God as mother's Disciple. This is, this is going to be my longest point. This is arguably the central task of mothering. To make disciples. It isn't to train children to become productive members of society. It isn't to train children to be well behaved. It isn't to train children to be successful. It isn't even to train children to like you. All of these things are desirable, all of these things are commendable, but ask yourself this simple question, what is the most important thing I can train my children to do? Is it not to love and follow Jesus? Is not this a goal which not only has promise for this life, but also in the one to come. All these other things, good behavior, successful career, maybe, recognition by peers that you are a good and a faithful and a loyal person, all these things are good. All these things hold promise now, but there is only one thing that has eternal consequences, and that is whether or not Your children know Jesus. Certainly, if we believe the Bible, this has to be a mother's most important goal. But friends, if we're honest, this also has to be one of the least recognized things that a mother does. Think of the countless conversations a mother has with her children. When she's tucking them into bed, when they're driving in the car together, when they're sharing a meal, 
Think of the countless hours a mother spends over the course of her children's lives as they are young and as they grow older, reading the Bible to them, talking about the Bible to them and praying for them. Many of these conversations, no one ever sees. No one will ever know about. Many of these prayers, no one except God alone ever hears. There's no award ceremony. There's no plaques for all of this. It's just her, her children, and God. Consider the many occasions when a mother has to correct her children. Maybe not so much because her children's behavior is bad in the society, in the eyes of society at large, but ultimately because they are behaviors that are dishonoring to God. Often these occasions can be stressful, grieving, frustrating, tiring, and there's no immediate reward. There's no recognition. There's no one there to commend her works. There's no one there to give her a promotion. All of these things mostly go completely unnoticed. And they're done mostly in private. But Scripture teaches that all of this laboring, the conversations, the heartaches, the prayers, the desperate Prayers, the laboring a mother does to disciple her children in the ways of God is some of the most important work that she could ever do on this earth. Consider with me for a moment the passage that we read at the beginning from 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul is writing there to Timothy about the sure troubles that will come upon him and any other person who desires to live a godly life and who desires to follow Christ. It is a guaranteed fact. If if there is any promise in the Christian life, it is that you will have some kind of suffering. Guaranteed. As Jesus taught, if the world hated me, it will also hate you. So... So Paul is giving Timothy here a sober reminder that the world as it exists now, with all of its sin, with all of its fallenness, will continue to get worse. Evil people and imposters, he says, will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And the result of this continued decay will be that those who desire to live as lights in the world, in this world of darkness, those who desire to live as disciples of Christ, will suffer persecution in some form. They'll be ridiculed. They'll be reviled. They will experience being ostracized. This this is simply a part of the cost of godliness. Notice that one of the things that Paul points Timothy to as a way to prepare for these trials and as a way to persevere through them, as a way to endure and to come out through this 
persecution on the other side still loving and longing for Christ. Look at what he points to. It's the training that Timothy had received from his mother and grandmother. That's what he points to. Verse 14. As for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Maybe he could be talking about Paul here. Maybe he could be talking about some other apostles or some other disciples in the church, but he goes on and he says, and how from childhood, how from childhood, from your mother Eunice, from your grandmother Lois, two figures we learn about earlier in this book, how from childhood, Timothy, from Eunice and Lois, from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through Christ Jesus. Now friends, Timothy traveled with the Apostle Paul. Paul was one of the greatest apostles of them all. He wrote most of the New Testament, wrote most of the letters that we have. And he had insight and knowledge into the things of God that even sometimes Peter the Apostle didn't even understand. And so Timothy, we might say, had probably the best seminary training a person can receive except for being under the feet of Jesus directly. He's with Paul. He's hearing his preaching. He's seeing him endure much affliction to spread the gospel to the nations. But when Paul is telling Timothy how Timothy can remain firm in the faith even through persecution, Paul doesn't bring up the many lessons he taught him. He doesn't point Timothy to Timothy's apostolic pedigree. To Timothy's on-the-job learning under the feet of the Apostle. He points him to the discipling of his mother and grandmother. Timothy, remember them. Remember what they taught you. Sisters, God has designed motherhood to be the training ground that prepares children for a lifetime of godliness. That's what motherhood is for. And therefore, motherhood is no waste. It's no insufficient calling. It's no social accessory. And it's certainly not without purpose and meaning. Before God, it is pleasing. And for the church, it is vital. Absolutely vital in training up godly disciples in the next generation. I think it's worth pointing out here as well that this includes not only mothering within the context of our immediate families, but also in the context of the family of God. Spiritual mothers, I mean. Women who give their lives to the church, 
to train up other women in Christ's likeness and who also nurture and love the men in the church as if they were their own sons. Spiritual mothers also serve vital roles in the kingdom of God. Romans chapter 16, verse 13, the Apostle Paul is giving some final instructions to the recipients of this letter. And he wants certain people to be greeted. And he says in verse 13, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Rufus and his mother, Paul says, who has been a mother to me as well. Mothers encourage, they pray, they love their children, they know when there's something bothering their children without them saying a thing. Even when their children are older, they still ask them a lot of the same questions. Are you getting enough sleep? Are you getting enough exercise? You need to go to the doctor for a checkup? My mom, probably for the last 14 or 15 years, has still, every year, maybe every six months, asked me, have you checked your oil lately? Have you gotten your oil changed? Have you gotten your tires rotated? And she's continued to ask me that because chances are I have not. <laughs> you can imagine as well how Rufus's mother could have been a mother to Paul along these lines. Paul, how are you doing? I got word, I received report, Paul. You were in a certain city and you were beaten pretty bad. How are you doing, Paul? I know you're planning on going to Corinth, Paul. You know those people are crazy in Corinth, right? I'm praying for you, Paul. I made some bread for your journey, Paul. I made you a new tunic. Mothering within the church is no lowly calling either. It's a glorious ministry and one that itself often goes unnoticed, but one that builds up and encourages the saints. So the glory of motherhood is displayed through discipling within the home, within the immediate family, as well as in the church. Second, the glory of motherhood is also displayed in self-sacrificing service. Self-sacrificing service. In many ways, motherhood could be defined by this very point. As soon as her child is brought into this world, and even before the birth, a mother instinctively knows that her life has changed forever. It's no longer about her. She now has another person who is her responsibility to care for. She now has to lay down her life to serve her children in love. And most of the time, this service is in no ways 
glamorous. Many nights without sleep. Many dirty, disgusting diapers to be changed. Cleaning up messes that no sane human being would ever make, yet somehow children major and are experts in creating. I'm still amazed seeing our children, how they will just come to the kitchen table and see something on it and get the idea, oh, I should take my hand and destroy it. This is not something that sane people do. But it is something that children do, and mothers are often there to pick up after them. Driving all over town, take the kids to doctor's appointments, school, extracurricular events. Having to endure with patience as the children grow older and suddenly discover that all of the world's knowledge and wisdom resides within them. Again, I love my children. I'm glad they're not in here right now. Eliana is four, and we have had debates on the proper pronunciation of the word animal. Is it animal or aminal? And I never win that debate. Even as children become men, women, adults, mothers do not stop their mothering. They still serve and sacrifice for them. But for many in our culture, this serving is beneath a woman. It's beneath her. It's not strong. It doesn't demonstrate power. It doesn't come with any great status. It's just some lowly, unrecognized domestic slavery. Sisters, let me encourage you this morning by suggesting that there is actually nothing which requires more strength than to sacrifice yourself for others, especially your children. Nothing. For there is no one who has displayed more strength than Jesus Christ Himself, and this is what He does for His children. He lays down His life for them. He serves them at the cost of His own life. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 and following, Christ Jesus is the one who though being in the form of God, in other words, though being clothed with the majesty of eternal power and being forever and eternally in the bosom of the Father, though being in the form of God, He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, a thing to hold on to, a thing to preserve for Himself, but He emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant by being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
biblical motherhood is marked by this Christ-like, self-giving service. And there is nothing more beautiful than that cross-centered life. Third, the glory of motherhood is displayed as mothers love God more than their children. The glory of motherhood is displayed as mothers love God more than their children. Let me just put this another way. The best way that mothers can love their children is by loving God more than them. It does not do children at any age, young or old, it doesn't do them any good at all when they become idols in the lives of parents. Lisa Chan wrote a book with her husband, Francis Chan, who's a church planner in San Francisco on marriage and motherhood. I just want to read a short section in it on this very point. She writes, It can be very difficult to battle the desire to be our child's friend rather than their authority. I met once with a young married woman who did not have kids yet. And somehow we got on the topic of dating unbelievers, and I shared with her what we have always told our kids. If they are committed to following Jesus, we will not support them in a relationship with someone who is not following Jesus. She goes on to say that she, this young girl, was shocked that we would hold to this standard at any age with no exceptions. She was worried that holding kids to this standard would push them to rebel. Again, she goes on, I'm going to be honest. This is Lisa Chan. I was pretty disturbed at this line of thinking. Should parents really make following Jesus more palatable to their kids so they won't find His commands so hard to deal with? I would argue that this actually sends a terrifying message to kids. You get to pick and choose which commands to follow and at which age. And so she goes on to ask the provocative question, are you willing to take a stand against your kids when God's Word is at stake? Are you willing to take a stand against your kids when God's Word is at stake? When your children, at any age, are pursuing lifestyles or choices that cause them to set aside or water down or break God's clear commands, are you willing to oppose them? Or are you 
just going to go along with them in order to maintain some semblance of peace in the home. A semblance of peace, I say, because if you have compromised on God's commands, you have now made yourself an enemy with Him. And there's no real peace. Jesus says in Luke fourteen twenty six. This is Basic Christian Discipleship 101. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. In other words, in comparison to Christ, who do you love more? Who will you follow? A mother loves her children best when she worships and follows Christ and she doesn't worship her children. And she teaches her children best when in her Christ-centered life she bears witness that there is far more joy and far more fulfillment and satisfaction and pleasures in Jesus than this world could ever offer. She loves her children best in that way. Motherhood like this is no purposeless existence, but it shines bright with the glory of God. One last point I want to make, just real brief, which is that the glory of motherhood is displayed as she fails repeatedly. And cries out to God for grace. There are no perfect mothers. There are no mothers who discipline perfectly. There are no mothers who love with a sinless love. There are only fallen mothers. Tired mothers. And mothers in desperate need of grace. And for the Christian mother, that grace is given abundantly and freely in Christ. Jesus says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In the context, he's not directing that towards mothers, but you better believe it has application there. Who labor and are heavy laden, Jesus gives the rest. Sisters, there may be days when you feel yourself completely inadequate in the home. Days when you have not loved your husband well. Days when you feel your own inadequacies as a mother to a greater extent. Days when you are simply profoundly aware of your own sinfulness. And in all of those days, and in all of those times, and in all of your weaknesses, the grace of God is available to you and sufficient for you. Do not listen, sisters, to what the world tells you you have to be. 
You go to God's Word and you hear what you are. A child of the living God, entrusted with a gift of motherhood, in which you glorify God and in which you enjoy Him forever. Much more, indeed, could be said about mothers, the sacrifices that they make. Much more is in the Word of God that exalts motherhood rightly. But I just want to leave it there for you this morning, and I want to pray for you all, you mothers and um, those who have mothers. I want to pray for you all that we would rightly recognize the glory that God has infused within this very office. So let me pray for you now.